Lord Jesus, you are the king that is worthy of our praise. You are our prince of peace, and we live our lives for you. Teach us how to do that with greater courage and boldness for your sake. Amen. God's peace to you, friends, from the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are continuing in our sermon series based on the book of Acts, in which we're looking at one chapter from the book of Acts each Sunday. Uh, we're, we're taking a look at uh, what it means to be the church as we examine lessons from the early church under the theme, Ready, Set. And today's theme is Ready, Set, Go with Courage and Boldness. I'd like to begin the message today by inviting you to watch a video clip from one of my favorite childhood movies. If you were king, you wouldn't be afraid of anything? Not nobody. Not know-how. Not even a rhinoceros? Imposterous. How about a Why, I'm trashed from top to bottom. Supposing you met an elephant? I'd wrap him up himself. What if it were a brontosaurus? I'd show him who was king of the forest. character so much. Maybe it's because we see a little bit of ourselves in that character, because sometimes we're courageous and other times we're fairly cowardly. How do you define courage? Different people in history have put definitions to that term. The late Nelson Mandela, the South African statesman, defined courage this way. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. General George S. Patton from World War II days said, Courage is fear holding on a minute longer. And John Wayne said, Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway, as only John Wayne can say it. I think the one I like the best is from President Franklin D. Roosevelt, who said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. And I think that one will tie into today's message. Let me ask you, in what area of your life do you need more courage? Maybe in your professional life? Maybe in your personal and relationship life? Maybe in your spiritual life, you need more courage. Well, one person from the New Testament who learned a great deal about courage in relation to his faith was Simon Peter. 
Peter was one of those characters who went from being cowardly to courageous in a fairly short period of time. You remember the story of Peter. The night before Jesus was crucified, Peter was one of those, along with the rest of the disciples, in the upper room with Jesus as they were celebrating Passover. And during the course of that meal, Peter made some pretty bold statements. He said, even if all fall away, I will not. I will never disown you, Lord. And then within a matter of hours, literally, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Not once, not even twice, but three times. He said, I do not know the man. So much for the courage. But then, two months later, we see a very different Peter alive and active. In fact, Peter and John, both disciples who had had their moments of cowardice, were boldly declaring their faith out in the streets of Jerusalem, right in the face of the very people that had made sure that Jesus had been executed. Boldly declaring the message about the living, risen Savior, Messiah, Jesus. What changed them? What changed Peter from cowardice to courageous? Well, it certainly was, first of all, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Here, this very one that he had seen crucified and put into a grave, he then saw very much alive and demonstrated the power of his resurrection in Peter's life. Peter experienced that in a very personal way sometime later. You remember when he and the other disciples were out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was on the shore of the lake, and he, he calls out from the shore, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Thinking that was kind of silly, they did it anyway, and of course they got a great catch of fish, and in that experience they realized who it was that told them to do that. It was Jesus. They come in, Jesus serves them breakfast, they spend time with, with the risen Lord, and then Jesus takes Peter aside, and he asks him some questions. Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. A second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. And a third time, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. What Jesus was doing in that experience, the living, risen Jesus was forgiving Peter his sins of having disowned him. And he was restoring Peter back into a right relationship with himself, the Savior. And he was recommissioning Peter for the work of ministry. It was a powerful, life-changing experience. And it came about because Jesus was now alive. The resurrection had transformed Peter from coward to courageous proclaimer of the truth. Now we come to Acts chapter 4. And what we see in this chapter is courageous faith on display. Before we actually start reading this chapter, I want to point out a certain pattern that comes up again and again in the book of Acts, and we see it in chapter 4. The pattern goes like this, proclamation, opposition, and growth. That is, the believers in Jesus are, first of all, proclaiming the good news about the risen Savior. 
But whenever they do that, they're met with opposition by their enemies. Sometimes that opposition takes rather severe forms. But the end result is more people coming to faith and therefore the growth of the kingdom of God. Proclamation, opposition, growth. We'll see that a number of times throughout the book of Acts and we certainly see it here in chapter 4. Now the context for chapter 4 is an incident that took place back recorded in chapter 3, namely the healing of a lame man. Peter and John, by the power of God, are enabled to heal this man who had been crippled for many years. But Peter and John weren't content to just give this guy the gift of physical healing and then be done with it. Rather, they saw this as an opportunity to proclaim the full message of who Jesus really is, an opportunity to share the message of a living, risen Savior. We read in Acts chapter 4, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. There's the opposition. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Those who opposed the apostles here are described as the Sadducees, including some others. The Sadducees were a group of religious leaders who did not believe in the idea of the resurrection of the dead. They certainly didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead, and they didn't believe in the concept that other Jewish people believed, that at the end of time, the dead will be raised to life. Sadducees denied that truth. They also did not believe in angels or even the afterlife. And so they hear Peter and John proclaiming the message about not only the fact that Jesus was alive, but that all who believe in him will also be raised to life on the last day, and that through faith in Jesus they have eternal life. They opposed this. They threw Peter and John into jail. There's religious freedom, hmm? freedom of speech. But notice the outcome. Proclamation, opposition, yes, but the outcome was growth. It says that many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000, not to mention the women and children. The number of men grew to about 5,000. In other words, through the proclamation of the good news, in spite of the opposition, more people came to believe in Jesus as their Savior. But they came to believe because of the message that Peter and John were proclaiming. What I want us to underscore in this first section of the chapter is that that message they declared is powerful. It is life-changing. Those people didn't come to faith because of the cleverness and the skill and, uh, and abilities of Peter and John. They came to faith because of the powerful message about a living Savior who is their Savior as well. I think that's important for us to keep in mind. And let me ask you, whom do you know who needs to hear that life-changing message of Jesus' death and resurrection. You know, as we engage in our everyday living, there's people all around us who do not really understand who Jesus is, 
whom might you share that message with? Maybe it's a friend that you have a, an affiliation with who doesn't quite understand religious matters. Maybe it's a neighbor who's experiencing some kind of tragedy and is wondering, is there a God out there that cares for me? Maybe it's a coworker that's going through some kind of experience that they're starting to ask religious questions. Could you respond? Maybe it's a relative who really doesn't understand the message of grace. Students, maybe it's a fellow student who really doesn't feel that they're worth very much. Maybe they're bullied and ridiculed at school and they wonder, does anybody really care? Is there even a God that loves me? Am I worth anything? Maybe it's someone who's troubled by their past, who have some regrets about things they've done in life. They're feeling a sense of shame or guilt. Maybe it's just somebody looking for hope. You and I have a message that is so powerful, it changes lives from the inside out. And it really is a fairly simple message. It's a message about a God who loves sinful people so much, he gave up his own innocent son in death on a cross rather than punishing us who deserve it. It's a message about that Jesus Christ, who paid the full penalty for sin, rose from the dead to guarantee our eternal life, who went up into heaven to prepare a place for all who trust in him as their Savior and promised that one day he's going to come again and take home with him all who believe in him. It's really a fairly simple message that I believe each and every one of us could share. And that message is the kind that changes lives. Are you ready to share it with someone? We continue on in Acts chapter 4. It says, The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. I guess they brought in the big guns now. They had Peter and John brought out before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this, namely heal this lame man? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, note the respect still for, the, for even his enemies, rulers and elders of the people. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He, that is Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved." And when they saw, take note of this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, when we think about the idea of being witnesses for Jesus, of sharing our faith with someone else, we can sort of do a psych job on ourselves and convince ourselves that surely we're not up to that task. We couldn't possibly be effective witnesses 
uh, to someone else. We just don't have what it takes. But the fact is, we have everything that it takes. We have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we have the message that has changed our lives, and we simply are asked to share it with others. I mean, Peter and John, who were they? Fishermen, unschooled, ordinary people who simply spoke what they knew to be true. And when they spoke, it was described as courage. Courage. In Acts chapter 4, three words are used that all come from the same Greek root word. The words that are translated in English are courage, boldness, and boldly. They all come from the same Greek word that basically means outspoken. Outspoken, to speak up, to speak out what you know to be true. That's being courageous. What does it mean to be a courageous Christian today in the 21st century in America, in Scottsdale, Arizona? Well, the context may differ a little bit. Some of the issues we're facing today in our country might differ from the first century. But really, the task remains the same. To speak up, to speak out, that's being courageous. To speak out about what we know to be true in our hearts. To be witnesses for Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, but if you have, you know what the role of a witness is in a courtroom. They're simply called upon to tell what they know to be true. That's it. To tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. It's really not that a scary or intimidating of a task. You know what is true. You simply need to tell what you know is true. Well, friends, our Lord has called us to be his witnesses in the courtroom of life. And he calls us simply to tell others what we know to be true about him. That's what Peter and John were doing. Sometime after Peter and John's experience, Peter, who is now quite bold in his faith, writes a couple of letters to some other Christians who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And what he writes to them in his first letter, I think, is important for us as well. Listen to what he says. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Are you clear about the reason for your eternal hope? And could you explain that to someone else in a simple way that they would understand it? In a coffee shop, on a napkin, could you draw a little diagram that helps someone understand who Jesus is and what he did? A cross, an empty tomb, a message of hope. Could you in your own words explain what Jesus means to you, that he died for you, forgave your sins, and that through faith in him you have eternal life? I think you could do that. Every one of us could do that. 
because it's simply telling what we know to be true. And we could do that in, with gentleness and respect for the person to whom we're talking. We continue on in Acts chapter 4 with verse 14. It says, but since they, that is the religious leaders, could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. There's evidence right in front of their face. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. Interesting, the conversation they had in private, isn't it? What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Yeah, there's religious freedom, huh? Freedom of speech. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I think there's a couple of takeaways from this section of the chapter. And first it is, friends, we must obey God rather than men. I pray that it doesn't happen, but the day may come in our lifetime when we are told by the ruling authorities that we are not allowed to preach, teach, and believe, speak about the things that we have come to believe in our faith in Christ. But if that day comes, we must obey God rather than men. We must speak what is true and not deny it. And secondly, from this section, we learn that we need to speak what we've seen and heard. Those Apostles simply couldn't help but speak what they'd seen and heard. They'd seen Jesus alive. Why would they deny that? We who know that living Jesus also need to be willing and ready and courageous enough to share the message of Jesus' love with anyone who will listen, that they too may be drawn to believe in him. Well, after all of this took place, and after Peter and John were released, they went to their fellow Christians, their fellow believers who were gathered together, and they shared a report with, about, about what had happened. And there was great rejoicing and celebration, celebration over what happened. And then the whole group engaged in a prayer. I'm not going to read the whole prayer to you. You can read that this week as part of your devotions. But I want to read just a part of the prayer they prayed. They prayed, Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Friends, I think that is our prayer too. Lord, enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great boldness. I like what we heard in today's gospel lesson from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. He said two things about you and me who are followers of his. 
First, he said, you are the salt of the earth. Then he said, you are the light of the world. First of all, we are the salt of the earth. Salt in antiquity, by the way, was used as a preservative of meat. They didn't have refrigeration. This is how you kept meat fresh and from spoiling and decaying. For Jesus to say that you and I are the salt of the earth means that we are to be a preserving nature and a preserving element in the world today that is decaying right before our very eyes. We need to spread the love of Jesus Christ in such a way that lives are preserved for all eternity, that people are brought to Jesus as their Savior. Secondly, he says, you are the light of the world. You and I have the light of the gospel shining in our hearts. We are to let that light shine in such a way that others are drawn to Jesus as well. Let the light shine into a very dark world that the darkness may be overcome and many more brought to the light of Jesus' love. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. We are to take that out into the world courageously and boldly. I want to close with the very last verse of that Old Testament reading, Joshua 1, verse 9, which, by the way, has been the theme verse for our school and church year this past year. God said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Friends, as we go through those doors, out into the realities of life, Let's go with the power of God. Let's go with courage and boldness, willing to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, willing to share a message that can change lives from the inside out. Ready, set, go with courage and boldness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. May the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.